scared of us because they know that we are the most powerful women in the world. Iranian women are fearless. And mullahs are scared of fearless women. That's exiled Iranian journalist and activist Masi Alinejad, who believes the widespread protests against Iran's religious dictatorship mark the beginning of the end for the regime. I'm Margaret Hoover. This is the Firing Line Podcast. I spoke to Alina Jad as demonstrations continued over the death of Masa Amini, a 22-year-old woman who died in custody after she was detained for allegedly showing too much hair in public. To us, millions of Iranians, it's obvious that the police killed her. In the months since Amini's death, protesters demanding freedom have burned headscarves, but also faced violent and deadly crackdowns. The Iranian regime cut off the internet to prevent the rest of the world to see the real brutality, to see the real crackdown on how many people got killed. The cause is personal for Alinejad, who hasn't been back to see her family in Iran for 13 years. In exile, she launched a social media campaign against Iran's compulsory hijab with millions of followers. But she has also been targeted by death threats and kidnapping plots and now lives under FBI protection. I mean, I lost everything in my life, everything, but not hope, because this is what the Iranian government want to take it away from us. But is the Biden administration doing enough to support the protesters? Or is its pursuit of a new nuclear deal getting in the way? I think that the Biden administration are lost when it comes to women's rights and human rights in Iran. So you're persuaded that the Biden administration wants a nuclear deal with Iran more? This is what Secretary Blinken told me and Jake Sullivan in in our meeting. They actually said that. Massey Alinejad, welcome to Firing Line. Thank you so much. You're an Iranian journalist living in New York City. Four weeks ago, 22-year-old Masa Amini was visiting Tehran when she was arrested by the morality police for allegedly wearing her hijab improperly. She died suddenly while in police custody. What do you know about how Masa Amini died? The regime says that we didn't kill her. We didn't do anything to her. But the family, Masa's family, they put themselves in danger and they spoke up about how she got killed. Uh, Maso's father actually talked to those women who were witnessing while Maso was beaten up by hijab police. And, um, you know, that's to us, millions of Iranians, it's obvious that the police uh, killed her. Amini's death has sparked waves of protests across Iran, now in as many as 80 cities across the country. Women have been seen in the streets taking off their hijab in many cases, burning their hijab, cutting their hair, chanting phrases like death to the dictator and woman life freedom. What for you is the most important takeaway of the last month's uprising? A large number of women burning headscarves. You know what? I mean, to me, this is like a, a revolution to see a lot of fearless women shoulder to shoulder with men wearing a headscarf. Mm-hmm. Because to us, a headscarf, hijab is not just a small piece of cloth. It's, it's like a tool to oppress us. And now I see that fearless women are burning the headscarf. It's a, a revolution is going on. I want to ask you about the symbolism of the hijab because you have been encouraging women across Iran 
to speak out against the hijab requirement since 2014. You, in fact, have been encouraging them to take videos of themselves without their hijab and to send them to you so that you can post them on your own social media channels. You have millions of followers on social media, over 8 million on Instagram alone. You say that a headscarf is not just a small piece of cloth and that it is so important. You have compared this uprising with the hijab to the fall of the Berlin Wall. So explain the significance of the hijab. I was just watching that people uh, making sure that your hair look beautiful in this show. So imagine living in a country that people make sure that your hair is not shown. Well, I mean, this is 21st century. So that is why when people in, in the West saying that um, this, this is just a small piece of cloth or it's your, your culture, I get furious because it's not, it's not compulsory job. It is like the Berlin Wall and Iranian women trying to tear this wall down because we want to, we want to gain our dignity back. You know, we want to gain our uh, visibility back. We want to be our true self. Just think about it. You mentioned about uh, protests across Iran. I want to actually tell you that teenagers are getting killed. Why? Why? Because teenagers, they see the rest of the world. They want to be happy. They want to be free. They want to dance. They want to sing. They want to show their hair. So basically, when we say no to forced hijab or burning the headscarves, it's just the first step toward full equality. You left Iran in 2009 when you were 32 years old. But you describe growing up in Iran with a brother who you got to see go out to the stadium to watch games, to ride a bicycle, playing with his friends, singing. And you were stuck wearing hijab from the age seven on. <laughs> Describe what life is like for women in Iran. Like a hell. I mean, seriously. Imagine you're just seven-year-old girl. Then you want to go to school. If you don't cover your hair, you won't be able to get an education. You won't be able to get uh, a job. You won't be able to exist, to live. You know, you're not able to go to stadium. You're not able to sing. I have a beautiful voice. I can sing for you. I've heard you sing. Can you believe that singing solo is forbidden because you're a girl, because you're a woman? So millions of girls and women inside Iran are being like hostage in the hand of Sharia laws, in the hand of the Islamic Republic. You know, so for, for us, um, it is like uh, like my body. It's not my choice. I've heard you call it a gender apartheid regime. It is. Because the, the gender apartheid regime, like the Islamic Republic, Taliban, ISIS, this, they write their ideology in your body, in my body. I mean, you, you just answered simple question. If you go to Afghanistan, if you go to Iran, how you understand that this is a country being controlled by Islamic states? Through us, men are not wearing the symbol of an ideology. This is us, the women that we carry, one of the most visible symbol of Islamic regime, which is hijab. So that is why, I mean, I have to say that more than 60% of university in Iran being occupied by women. But where are these women? We don't, women are not allowed to be judged. Women are not allowed to be ministers. And uh, before the revolution, before the revolution, we had so many judges, we had so many uh, female singers, we were able to go to stadium. 
to participate in any kind of sports. But the Islamic revolution became a revolution against women. And this is the reality. I mean, maybe in the West, you just see some tourists going to my country and publishing a picture and saying that this is their culture. We wear hijab out of respect to their culture. This is an insult to a nation because our culture is rich. You have to see Iran before the Islamic revolution. So that is why I say that this revolution being led by women with the slogan, as you mentioned, woman, life, freedom, because when you are a woman, you don't have a normal life. You're not a free woman. If you want to be a free woman in Iran, you have to break the law every day. Mm -hmm. Me and you both, if we sit like this in Iran, we couldn't do this in Iran. No, in the eyes of the government, we're like master criminals. Leg, hair, definitely we would get lashes, both of us. Just think about it. There's a brutal crackdown occurring on behalf of the government to the protesters. Tear gas, clubs, ammunition is being fired into crowds. According to some reports, 185 people have died in the protests. More but these are estimates. Yeah. There are also reports of journalists being arrested, school children being detained on school premises. What are you hearing from your contacts on the ground? First of all, I have to say that the numbers are much more than this because the Iranian regime cut off the internet to prevent the rest of the world to see the real uh, brutality, to see the real crackdown on how many people got killed. In 2019, the regime shut down the internet and killed 1,500 people. I see that schoolgirls, teenagers making video before going to protest. One of them, Hadith Najafi, only 20 year old, she filmed herself and proudly saying that I'm going to the demonstration and the day when we have the regime change, I am going to be proud of myself because I was part of the revolution. She got killed. There's another girl who burned headscarf, Nikosha Karami, only 16 year old, bravely leading the movement by burning her hijab. She got killed. And what the Iranian regime did, brought their family on TV, uh, to do forced confession and saying that, no, our daughters just committed suicide. This is what I see. But you know what? You had Margaret Atwood in your show. She wrote a book, The Handmaid's Tale. And there is a theory about it. In the West, maybe people just eat their popcorn and watch it as, a, as an entertainment. But this is the reality in Iran, in Afghanistan. Women are being treated like what you see in the Handmaid's Tale. Women get raped in the name of child marriage. Women get killed in the name of like, you're not going to be a Muslim anymore or you show your hair. Women get, teenagers are getting killed. So that breaks my heart that I cannot explain to Western people. Some of the people like saying that, you know, this is an internal matter. Let's deal with this. We shouldn't touch it. I see a lot of Western feminists wearing hijab, celebrating hijab when they go to my country and they say that this is your culture. I don't know what to say to them. Now this is the time. I call on all Western female politicians who obeyed compulsory hijab in front of Taliban, in front of Islamic Republic. Now this is their time. If, if you don't want to burn headscarf because it's like causing maybe Islamophobia, as you say, if you don't want to cut your hair, then cut your ties with our murderers. There are those who will say Iranian women, some of them choose hijab. From the age of seven, you choose to wear hijab. I mean, I, I was one of them. 
I was saying that I, I wear hijab, this is my choice. But you know what? I was told by um, school principal, by clerics, by mullahs, by culture, by religion, everything in Iran that if you don't wear this, you are going to be hanged with your hair in the hell. So I had only one option to wear it because otherwise, I mean, between hell or wear it, what do you choose? When people say that some women, yeah, my mom wears it traditionally, but I strongly believe that hijab cannot be a choice until the day that all women around the world can choose to wear it or not. Now millions of girls in Iran and Afghanistan are being kicked out from everywhere. We didn't choose to be second-class citizens. What kind of danger are the women and girls who are taking their hijabs off and taking videos and sending them to you? What kind of danger are they putting themselves in? The Iranian regime actually made a law saying that if anyone sends videos to Masih Alinejad, will be charged up to 10 years prison. 10 years prison just sending video to me. Why are they so afraid of you? I mean, I have to say that they are not afraid of me. They are afraid of millions of brave women inside Iran who dare to challenge the regime and send the videos to me as well. Now they're publishing the videos on their own social media. So the Iranian regime is scared of its own women. They're actually, um, there is three pillars for the Islamic Republic. Death to America, death to Israel, hijab. But now the biggest enemy of the Islamic Republic is not America and Israel. It's women inside Iran. You know why? Because they are fed up. They are fed up by the regime, telling them what kind of lifestyle to follow. They are fed up by seeing that the regime, the same uh, officials who are killing them, they send their children here in America to have their luxury life here. All the ayatollahs, they send their relatives and children here. They have freedom. They, they have fancy life here. So the Iranian young generation, they risk their lives because they are tired of seeing this hypocrisy. You were a journalist in Tehran and you left in 2009, essentially because the government told you to either stop making trouble or leave. <laughs> so you left. Uh, since then, your sister has denounced you on state TV. Uh, the Iranian government has attempted to kidnap you on multiple occasions. Your brother has been in prison for not cooperating with a kidnapping plot. In July, a man was arrested outside of your home in New York City with an AK-47 style weapon loaded in the back of his car. It sounds to me like Iran's theocratic leaders are scared of you. You know what? I don't have any weapon. I don't have any guns and bullets. But they're scared of my words. They're scared of my voice. Yeah, they're scared of my social media. As you mentioned, that I have like more than 10 million followers. I'm not an actress. I'm not a model. I'm just giving voice to voiceless people. And that scares the regime. Look, I, I grew up in a very tiny village. And I was the one actually watching the mullahs, all the clerics through my, my black and white TV. Now they're watching me. And I'm so uh, proud of Iranian women that actually telling them that we're not scared of you. We are together and we will bring this regime down. They're scared of us because they know that we are the most powerful women in the world. Iranian women are fearless and mullahs are scared of fearless women. How this has impacted your life is oh. 
pretty severe. I mean, Upside you are, down. you haven't seen your mother in 13 years. You get death threats daily. You are currently living in an FBI safe house. And Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei has referenced your own comparison of the hijab to the Berlin Wall in a speech that he gave last week. Do you take this as a personal threat? Of course, but I'm not scared of being killed by the regime. Look, what is the difference between me and all these young women who are getting killed? I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not scared. I don't want to die. Definitely, I don't want to die. I want to see the future of Iran. But what is scary for me is just seeing the world, the U.S. government, not taking action. And uh, they they know that. The Iranian regime were trying to kill me on U.S. soil, but still they want to get a deal with the same regime. This is scary for me. Talk to me about the toll it's taking on you personally. My life is upside down. You know, it's not easy for me because I'm a village girl. I used to go to my mom every weekend and hug her. We we get together. I remember when I got married with my husband, I was telling him, so your brother live next to us. Every weekend we're going to get together. And he was like, every weekend? We go there for Thanksgiving or Christmas. This is not me. I even in Brooklyn, I actually planted tree after my mother's name because I wanted to hug my mom. I wanted to talk to my mother. Now I have to be away even from the, my garden because my house, because uh, the government uh, actually tried to kill me in Brooklyn and I have to live in safe house. So you see, I even made all my neighbors like my family members. Now I'm away from them. My life is miserable, but every day when I wake up, I tell myself that, uh, Masi, the regime did everything to make you feel miserable. And you have two options. To cry every day and feel miserable or make your oppressors feel miserable. I choose the second one. This is not the first wave of protests in Iran. In 2009, there were fraudulent elections and an uprising in 2017 and 2019 over the economy. Women and girls have been the driving force behind many of these uprisings. But there is also broad support from male students and young men who are marching. Soccer stars are speaking out before the World Cup. An Iranian movie star has removed her own hijab on Instagram. Are these protests different? Totally different. How? This time, people know that they will end the regime. People have hope. You know, previous protests, you never see that uh, women burning headscarves. This is the first time that you see well-known athletes around the world, well-known actresses around the world showing solidarity. I mean, the unity, we see a sense of unity which is unique among Iranians inside, outside, among Iranians and non-Iranians, like the Western countries. The unity that we see in the Middle East, women of Afghanistan take to the street to support Iranian revolution. So I get goosebumps when I see all these solidarity and unity. It gives me hope that this time is different. The Mullahs know that as well. Khamenei referred to me and uh, the West, why? Because he knows it very well that compulsory job is the Achilles heel of the regime. Okay, so then last week, the regime stated, quote, 
From now on, those who are arrested in the riots will stay in jail until put on trial. They will be rapidly prosecuted and their sentences will be decisive and set as a deterrent. So this is a test of wills between the people of Iran and the regime. Why are you so sure the regime will lose? Because the Iranian regime know that themselves. And that is why actually they're trying to uh, cut off the internet and take the hope away from Iranian people. Look, um, now Iranians actually calling the Western country, the democratic countries that to take action. Why? They're even naming and shaming them, saying that because we are sure that one day we will get rid of this regime, but the history will judge you. They're not going to stay there forever. The young generation, as I told you, the TikTok generation, they are sacrificing their lives to bring this regime down. Of course I have hope. I mean, I lost everything in my life, everything, but not hope because this is what the Iranian government want to take it away from us. You've been pretty critical of the Biden administration and their lack of support for the protests. Of course, they say they do support the protesters because they support human rights advances, but they're not calling for regime change. You've even spoken with National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on various occasions, including at the end of September, to discuss the current uprising. And you told him that the U.S. government should stop negotiating the nuclear deal with Iran and connect with opposition leaders for information about what it's really like on the ground. He told you that the Biden administration was going to maintain the course, to stay on course with their current policy. What was your reaction? (laughs) Angry. You know what? Because um, you cannot be pro-democracy. You cannot say that we are for women's rights. You cannot say we care about freedom of expression, but at the same time, send billions of dollars to autocracy, to dictators. This nuclear deal is going to um, empower revolutionary guards, the killers, the murderers. Maybe people say that you live miles away from Iran and you don't understand the pressure, economic situation. But look, can you hear a single slogan that people in the street saying that we want a nuclear deal? Do you hear a single slogan? Like people chanting against America and like get a deal? No, people are aware that the money going to go to Bashar Assad in Syria. The money goes to Hezbollah, to all the terrorist organizations in the region. And that is why I'm angry with the U.S. government. Hey, I didn't, I didn't ask them for regime change. I didn't ask them to save Iranians. I just asked the U.S. government, stop saving Iranian regime. So you're, you're persuaded that the Biden administration wants a nuclear deal with Iran more. This is what Secretary Blinken told me and Jake Sullivan in, in our meeting. They actually said that. What they told you exactly what? That we have to stick with our policy to get a deal because we want an Iran without nuclear bomb. But you know what I told them? I said that a democratic Iran is going to make the whole world more safer. So when you hear the voice of Iranian who actually want to get rid of the Islamic Republic, this is the same goal because we believe that um, Islamic Republic is a danger not only for Iranian people, for people in region, for people in the West, for democracy. So that is why I asked the U.S. government just stick 
and uh, recognized Iranian revolution. So that was Secretary of State Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told you that it was more important to get a nuclear deal with Iran than it was to support the protests and the uprising. Correct. This is what um, Obama's administration did as well in 2009, when, you know, people in the street were naming Obama. Do you know what Obama means? He is with us. His name in Persian means he is with us. He was not. I want to ask you about the Iran deal, because last month, the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IEA, reported that Iran has enough highly enriched uranium to make a bomb. And it would only take a few weeks to enrich it to be weapons grade. And then once it has the uranium, of course, the State Department estimates that it could take Iran about a year to weaponize it. So take on the argument that the Biden administration is making, of course, that the time is of the essence and they the, the need to negotiate with the Iranian government in order to stop a bomb from being made is imperative. Look, but Islamic Republic is a dishonest uh, broker. They cheat. They lie. They understand only one language, language of pressure. I mean, forget about that. The U.S. citizen is an Iranian prison, U.K. citizen. Swedish citizen, Belgium citizen, German citizen, all these uh, dual national citizens or uh, non-Iranian citizens are being used like bargaining chip for nuclear deal. So imagine a day that the U.S. government just ask its own allies, the European countries, to get united and be tougher with Islamic hostage takers. That's the way that you negotiate with a regime who take hostages, who kill people, who murder innocent teenagers, not just burying human rights. I had another meeting with Secretary Pompeo as well. I criticized him that why there is no mention about human rights on 12 conditions about nuclear talk. That's why me and millions of Iranians are angry. Even you want to talk to Iranian about nuclear deal, then you have to mention about human rights abuse as well. No? One of the, the questions is, if the regime were to fall, who would be in charge? What would come next in Iranian leadership? And you say Iranians, of course, deserve a secular democratic country and not a religious dictatorship. Some protesters have called for the return of the Pahlavi family, that is, the descendants of the family of the late Shah who went into exile in 1979. There is also an opposition group who currently wants to overthrow the Iranian government, the People's Mujahideen Organization of Iran, the MEK. They previously had terrorist designation by the United States. Who could lead Iran in the absence of the Iranians should make decision for the future of Iran. Now, we all want to get rid of the Islamic Republic. But believe me, there are many intellectuals, educated people inside the country, outside the country. They can run Iran better than these backward mullahs. You know, there are so many brave and talented uh, leaders who are in prison or being silenced in Iran. They can they can run the country definitely better than the butchers, Raisi or Rouhani or Khatami. Let me ask you a question about the role the United States could be playing. Would it be helpful if the White House invited a group of dissidents like yourself and others in order to facilitate communication for what could become the next generation of Iranian leadership? That's what I said to Jake Sullivan. I said, instead of meeting with the murderers and butchers, you better meet with uh, some of the well-known 
opposition leaders inside Iran, outside Iran, and listen what they want. Listen what Iranian people want. So for, for me and millions of Iranians, it's clear that we want to end the Islamic Republic. And we deserve to have a secular democratic country, you know? But what is not clear that what the U.S. government want, they want a weak uh, regime to be in power, or they really want to protect democracy, then then you have to recognize the civil society, you have to recognize the, the revolution which is taking place in Iran right now. If you ignore Iranians, believe me, America will face all those terrorists, Islamic terrorists, on U.S. soil. When you suggested that the White House should invite dissidents to meet at the White House, what did Jake Sullivan tell you? Um, I mean, he actually told me that how we can help. It was good step, and I appreciated that. So I gave him a list of helps that they can do. What else was on the list? The relative, the children of the Ayatollahs are here in America. They have to do an investigation about them. Look, the way that the Western democratic countries um, actually boycott Putin and Putin's relative should be addressed about Iranian regime. What is different? Putin, Khamenei, Maduro, all the dictators, they're helping each other to oppress people, to suppress protests. So I asked uh, Jake Sullivan and the U.S. government that just think about it, that you do an investigation about the money, the relative of the Ayatollahs here, and then um, take action. Another thing that I asked Jake Sullivan about, Iran's intersection in Washington, D.C. This is not for the interest of Iranians. Both of us, let's go there. They're going to kick us out because we are unveiled in 21st century. In America, they're going to kick you out if you go to Iran's intersection. So then why the U.S. government doesn't shut down this embassy? Why? I asked Jake Sullivan that you can uh, actually meet with um, intellectual leaders inside the country and hear their voices. Believe me. It's better than hearing the voice of Butcher, Ibrahim Raisi, or the member of Revolutionary Guards. Another thing that I told Jake Sullivan, that you put the Revolutionary Guards in a terrorist list, but at the same time, you gave visa to member of uh, the Revolutionary Guards. They were part of Ibrahim Raisi's delegation to address at the U.S., uh, you know, to address at the U.N. General Assembly. He was shocked. He said that, who's going to do an investigation about it. What about providing internet access to Iran? Oh, yes, he promised that. I asked him that Iranians need to access internet. You can provide internet access for Iranians and encourage the tech companies to kick out Khamenei, to kick out all the dictators from social media because they ban 18 million people from using Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, but they're all using the U.S. Um, tech companies to encourage uh, violence against women, to promote violence, not against women, against Israel, against the U.S. Uh, citizens. So this is hypocrisy. I don't get it. So is it happening? Is the U.S. doing enough to facilitate the free flow of information in Iran? Not yet. That's why I say that we don't need empty words. You know, Obama's administration did a huge mistake by abandoning Iranians in the street. And now Hillary Clinton said that regret. Ben Rhodes said regret. Obama himself regret 
But now they're doing the same mistake. They're doing the same mistake because all people around uh, Jake Sullivan or President Biden are the same people giving wrong advice to President Obama. To be fair, the U.S. has levied three rounds of sanctions since the protests began. They include sanctions against the morality police on oil sales and on various Iranian officials who the U.S. says has played a role in the crackdown and internet outages. Is this not enough? It's not. Because at the same time, you're sending monies to the same people that you sanction. As I told Jake Sullivan, you put Revolution Guard on the terrorist list. The Revolution Guards is on the sanction list as well. But at the same time, you gave visa to them to come to United States of America. So for that, it's not enough. You have to sanction their relative. Their immediate relative are living here in luxury life. How do you make sure that they didn't get the money from Iranian people? At the same time, you want to stick with a nuclear issue without putting human rights condition. You try to separate nuclear talk from human rights. This is not helping. This is not enough. What I want is clear. A revolution is taking place in Iran. Teenagers getting killed. Schoolgirls getting killed. Recognize this revolution. If not, your sanction won't help us. Your empty word won't help us. Your cutting hair won't help us. Just cut the ties with the murderers. That's the only way that you can hear the voice of Iranian people. In December of 1979, on the original Firing Line program that was hosted by William F. Buckley Jr., his guest was former Congressman Allard Lowenstein. They were discussing how the United States is inconsistent in its application of human rights. I want to talk about, if I may, just for a moment on the question of human rights, because that was something that... Your specialty. Right. And I would like to say that I think that there is inherent in the approach to human rights of most of the political leaders of this country an opportunism which is which shatters the possibility of genuine progress across the board by people agreeing on the kind of formulation that we all know is right, namely that human rights is a concern regardless of where it occurs, where the violations occur, but that at no point should we forget that a government which is willfully repressive of its own people ought to be the object of concern on the part of people everywhere else. The Biden administration came in to power, arguing that they would advance global human rights and especially women's rights. So why is the plight of Iranian women not getting more support? I think that the Biden administration um, are lost when it comes to women's rights and human rights in Iran, because um, clearly they cannot see this as bipartisan issue. Not only, uh, like many Democrats here, when it comes to women's rights in Saudi Arabia, they are loud. But when it comes to Iran, they're hesitating to touch the issue. We have a lot of congresswomen. Oh my God, I remember the day when I was watching them wearing white. I was like, wow, that's beautiful. But they're all quiet when it comes to women's rights in Iran. Why? Because of political agenda. You know, they call themselves feminists. I want to meet with Nancy Pelosi. I want to meet with all the congresswomen. That how come you call yourself feminist, but the Iranian regime, I want to meet with Michelle Obama. You know, her book was best-selling book in Iran. I'm, honestly, it just breaks my heart 
that that why your political agenda is more important than your your dignity, your uh, feminism idea. Do you think that Western feminists have a double standard? Hypocrisy. I know they hate me when I say that, but my heart is broken because I see that young feminists getting killed in Iran. You could do a lot. Imagine, imagine all these Congress uh, women get united and call for International Women's March for Iranian women, for women of Afghanistan. What is different between? You say that some of the blame for the suffering of women in Iran rests with Western female politicians who wear the hijab when they travel to countries like Iran and Afghanistan. They believe that doing so demonstrates respect for Islamic culture. What do they not understand? They don't even understand that, first of all, compulsion cannot be part of a nation's culture. It's a barbaric law. Imagine uh, during the apartheid, people were saying, racism is your culture, then we're not going to. Biden himself was pro-boycotting sports during uh, the apartheid. No? What is different? This is a gender apartheid regime. What the feminists in the West don't get is like, if it's our culture, if, then culture is flexible. Many women sacrifice their life to change bad culture, like women of suffragists. Rosa Parks practice her civil disobedience to change bad culture. But when it comes to women of color, women in the Middle East, suddenly white feminists here, they telling us that we know your culture better. When it comes to women in Iran and Afghanistan, suddenly Western feminists saying that this is your culture, we don't want to touch the issue. Or they say that we don't want to cause Islamophobia. I invite all these Western female politicians who wear hijab to go and live in Afghanistan, to go and live in Iran. Then they understand that how it feels that every morning men law telling you that, I mean, men by men, I'm saying more laws telling you that cover yourself. So of course I'm scared of this barbaric laws. Of course my fear is rational. Mm-hmm. Look, I have to say that when Muslim ban, when Muslim ban happened in America, Everyone got united and condemned Muslim ban. No, I myself condemned that as well. But there is women ban as well. I call it women ban because you, me, all women around the world, we are banned from entering Iran. Then why the whole world not getting united against women ban? Why? Representative Ilhan Omar, who actually wears hijab, has actually attacked you. <laughs> yes. On Twitter. Why? You know, when when a woman of White Wednesday's campaign got arrested, I reached out to her. I even wrote an article for Washington Post. I called on her to support us. Ignored. When my mother was interrogated, I asked her for support. When the Iranian regime put my brother in prison, I asked her for support. She totally ignored me. But she actually repeated the talking point of the Islamic Republic on her Twitter, saying that Masih Alinejad is being paid by U.S. government. I was shocked. And her is she tweet, referring to the fact that you're a freelance journalist for The Voice of America? Which is being paid by taxpayers. And, 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 and by the way, Elhan Omar is being paid by U.S. government. What is wrong with that? My dream is to go back to my own country and have my own media. That's not my fault that the Iranian regime kicked me out. And I was shocked because I still want to, to talk to her. I still want 
her and other Democrats to stand in the right side of the history and support their sisters in Iran and Afghanistan. Ilhan Omar met with Erdogan, but she doesn't want to meet with me. Why? I'm a woman of color. I'm not a criminal. I didn't do anything. I want to have the same rights that you have in America, freedom of choice. Then why are you bullying me? I want to ask you one more question about your work as a journalist, because you're able to do work for Voice of America, uh, which is, of course, a U.S. government-funded network with the mission to broadcast journalism to the Iranian people so that they can get the news and understand what's actually happening, despite the fact that the mullahs are trying to shut them off from the international press. Does the fact that you're able to work in this capacity, does it demonstrate a degree of support? Look, um, I'm very pleased to be a freelancer for Voice of America I mean, that's why I came here, because I wanted to have freedom of expression. And I'm really pleased to have this opportunity to echo the voice of Iranians. But what you're saying is it's not enough. It's not enough. Because people who send videos to Voice of America, they're getting killed. It's not just, okay, just air their videos. No, hear their voice as well. You have said that you plan to return to Iran someday when there is a new regime. What gives you hope that that day will come? The mothers whose children got killed in Iran protests, they're giving me hope. When the regime telling them, we're going to kill you, your other children, if you speak up, they ignore the threat. They take the pictures of their beloved son and they go to the same street and they say that, yes, you killed my son, my daughter here. Now this is me. I'm bringing down your regime. These are my heroes. I mean, the regime did everything to break me, to take the hope away from me and millions of other people inside Iran. They are failed. People believe that they're going to have a country where all these mullahs, the religious dictatorship, going to be gone. And I'm going to invite you that day to Iran. Masih Najad, I will be delighted to join you. Thank you for being here on Firing Light. Thank you so much for having me. 